Welcome to Driven by Music, a podcast fueled by Firestone. In this podcast series, we will chat with emerging talent and industry professionals about big topics in the UK music scene right now. In this week's episode, I'll be catching up with Lauren Hibbard, a singer-songwriter from the Isle of Man, and also with therapist and artist coach John Bassett. Why do people have stage fright? And how do you get rid of it? We will dive deeper into this topic in today's episode, Just Picture Them Naked. Hello, I am your host, Abby McCarthy. I'm a TV and radio presenter bringing the best new music to people via BBC Introducing, Radio 1 or 4 Music. I also run a monthly gig night in London called Good Karma Club, where I've managed to host early shows for some amazing acts, including Tom Grennan, El Divine and Pale Waves. I think anyone in a public-facing job has experienced stage fright at some point. I remember feeling so nervous before my first radio show. I think it was just the sheer amount of adrenaline that got me through. A commonly known piece of advice given to performers and public speakers is just imagine your audience being naked. All these naked bodies should somehow help the performer relax. But does that actually work or is it just absolute nonsense? Let's find out while we chat with someone who has lots of experience with performing in front of a big crowd. This is Lauren Hibbard. Hey Lauren, how are you? Hey, Abby, I'm good, thank you. I'm hanging in there. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm staying sane, doing lots of baking. I am the new Mary Berry, I think. Really? What have you been been baking? Oh, my God, it's so stereotypical, but my banana bread is up there with the best. (laughs) I actually made a Lotus Biscoff cheesecake the other day. Oh, hello. It was a success story. Yeah. Everyone in the Hibbard household is talking about it. (laughs) Rave reviews. (laughs) Love that. I know. What else have you been up to lately? What have you been doing during this time? So I've been actually quite productive in like a writing sense. Like Amazing. as soon as lockdown hit, I was like, I'm going to try and write a song every day. Um, and everyone thought that was ridiculous. But I managed to write a song every day for three weeks. So <laughs> I love that. I was like, Haha, you're all wrong. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, sort of slowed down now, but I have been doing a lot of writing. Um, and basically just sort of trying to tie up I guess like a debut album so I have something to jump into and get recording when this is all over. Yeah, amazing. I mean, the debut album is, you know, is a is a huge thing for a new artist. Yeah. So yeah, you must be it's really excited about thought. the prospect of that. But like you say, a bit scared as well. Yeah, <laughs> equal scared, equal excitement. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing. So tell people listening a little bit more about Lauren Hibbard as an artist. You know, who inspired you to kind of start making your own music? I mean, I guess when I was 14, I, I started making music when I was 14. I got given a guitar, mm-hmm. um, sort of like self-taught. Um, and I was really into like folk music at the time, which people seem kind of shocked by now. Yeah. Um, so I was really into all that sort of like acoustic stuff. I like recorded acoustic EPs at home. And then I met um, these producers who are on the Isle of Wight where I live. And they sent me home with like a Weezer record one day. So I'll like, oh, take this. We don't want it anymore. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. what's this? And like, remember taking it home, spinning it and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. I felt like a whole new world had like opened up. Love it was that. like one of those movie scenes where like the little light switch just goes on. And I'm like, <laughs> I've got an idea now. <laughs> 
So I was like, oh, maybe I could try like blending like what I love about folk music in terms of like the vocal melodies and like the lyrics and the storytelling and sort of end up mashing it in with this sort of like, you know, pop punk garage thing. And it seemed to have kind of worked. So I'm sticking with that for now. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worked because that is what we're hearing now in, in your sound, which I love. What yeah. uh, job do you think you would be doing if you weren't killing it with the current bangers that you're putting out? Before I even liked music, I always wanted to be an author. I wrote okay. like three books when I was like 14. It's a bit weird. Everyone thought I was going to be really clever and then it just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> You're a songwriter now. Come on, that's fine. It's, it's not true. gone to waste. I guess I've met, I've met in the middle. I was like, I'm not going to write a book, but I will write a three-minute song. <laughs> and then, you know, in what, like, 20 years' time, you can write the autobiography, so it's so fine. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that could be my edge in later life. I'll swing back round as an author and shock everyone. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's concentrate on now, though. You've just put out a new single called Old Nudes, which yes. is a fantastic title, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> uh, tell everybody about this tune and what it's all about. I mean, this song, this is, again, this was sort of one I sort of discovered the whole Weezer thing and the slacker pop. And I sort of started, I guess, fumbling around in, in song topics that I wouldn't normally go to. And I was trying to, like, not be afraid of saying anything or singing about anything because I thought that's my, that might be the thing that sets me apart. So. Mm. I sort of went on a bit of a tangent and sort of did like the sugar daddy thing. And then I was like, oh, okay, that works. People like that whole tongue in cheek thing. Mm-hmm. And then I just, it just kind of fell out. I started writing a song about, I guess, an old nude and an old boyfriend having a photo. And, and I guess there's like a string of embarrassment that comes with that as yeah. the female. And I tried to like imagine all the girls that would have been in the same situation and try to, you know, put kind of a positive spin on it and kind of make the boy look like, you know the stupid person and not you and i think it's just it's managed to come out quite clever and i don't know how i did that um (laughs) in terms of like i think i've managed to make it sound like not a dirty affair when it definitely is just a dirty affair (laughs) (laughs) it's obviously something though quite personal to open up about and you do that and you've started to really do that in your music do you find that easy or has that been a bit of a challenge i mean i find it easier to talk about stuff like nudes and like wanting a sugar daddy I think because it's all kind of like tongue-in-cheek and like yeah. people don't expect you to say stuff like that but then I guess I'd probably struggle to talk about like the real real stuff you know you could talk to me about nudes all day but I'd struggle to be like oh I'm actually feeling really down now yeah <laughs> so yeah. I have like a weird spectrum but I'm sure it all even itself out as I go on now, at your live shows, you offer so many different sounds. Obviously, like you say, there'll be like slower moments. Then there's some like really huge upbeat moments where everybody in yeah. the room is moshing. You've played loads <laughs> of UK and European shows now over the last couple of years. Also, some amazing yeah. support slots, which we should touch on. You know, supporting yeah. Hippocampus and the Regrets yeah, that was as well. Huge. And yeah. I remember the first time I saw you was at Glastonbury last year when you played the BBC Introducing Stage. That was such a moment. I mean, for me, that was like such a bucket list. But I, I put so much pressure on myself before yeah, that I, I like, because you're like it's Glastonbury, it's Glastonbury. You can't just be like, oh, this is a normal gig. I've done this a million times before. <laughs> yeah, it's the one. <laughs> so I walk, yeah, I walked out there and I like convinced myself I couldn't sing. Stop it's it. such a weird thing but I walked out and Hugh Stevens was like Lauren Hibbard and I was like oh my god what if I can't sing now like what if what if it's just gone away like in, in the in this very moment but it was totally fine and it was such a good show 
and yeah well it just felt like a like a massive privilege really to be there yeah I bet is that up there with one of your favorite gigs of all time yeah I think it has to be based on the sort of bucket list thing I mean I'd never been to Glastonbury even as a punter oh right okay that was like my first time and we all went for the whole weekend but I think because it was on the Sunday the performance I was sort of like the whole weekend just treading really lightly like oh, I've got a form on Sunday and I want to be really good so I can't mm-hmm. do anything stupid <laughs> so I was sort of you know on my best behavior but it was such a good weekend and yeah the, the performance itself was yeah I won't ever forget it. Now what are you like in the lead up to shows like that obviously was you were saying you're kind of thinking about it all weekend and sometimes mm. you know you know you're going to go out and play to a huge crowd on some of these support yeah. slots and stuff you've been doing how do you find that like do you get kind of anxious before how do you kind of deal with stage fright and all those all those huge emotions running through you yeah and this is something I haven't really spoken about before but I'm I really suffer with stage fright okay and it's not it's not so much like the actual performing it's that sometimes I can't believe that I have to go and walk out and do what I do and -hmm. it's like a really weird thing and I feel like I have to become not someone else, because it definitely is me, and I just sort of say loads of random stuff, and that all falls out, <laughs> and that's very me. But sometimes I'll, I'll look out before we go out to a show, like, for example, like the Hippocampus tour. Mm. So you'd look out, and there'd be, you know, like 2,000 people, mm-hmm. Shepherds Bush Empire, and you're Amazing. like, okay, you know, that's a bit of a jump up from, yeah. you know, from the sort of 300 cap venues I was playing before. Yeah. And it's that weird thing that I have to walk out there and play to all of these people that probably don't know who I am. And I think that was the tour I started to conquer my nerves, I suppose, because I was like, you have to just force yourself to walk out there. And then after about 10 minutes, you sort of get yourself into a bit of a rhythm and mm-hmm. then you blink and then it's over. And then yeah. as soon as it's over, you wished it wasn't over. But the whole time you were on stage, you were wishing it was over because you just uh. wanted it to have like gone well and like reassure yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, mine's always like an hour before the show. I'm like, oh, okay, I feel it now. Like I couldn't, I can't eat before gigs. Mm-hmm. So I always have to have like a big lunch and then I just don't eat until I get back to the hotel or whatever after the show. Yeah, I'm imagining now you walking out in front of all those people, and it is it is really daunting. I obviously yeah. have, I've not I'm not a performer. I can't play any any musical instruments, but you know I'll go out onto festival stages and you know introduce bands on stage. But I always find that really fun because it's not yeah. it's like not about me, and it's like you're introducing that audience there to you know their their new favorite band or a band they've loved for years so it's quite an, yeah. an easy job but I guess if you're like you say a new artist and you don't really know how you're going to be perceived by that audience yeah, it is definitely. scary isn't it and also I have this thing sometimes where it's easier to go out to a huge audience who are all screaming and going mad oh, than go out percent. to you know 20 people and they're like yeah. who's this <laughs> And I think that's sort of what, so I sort of cured myself on the Hippocampus tour because every night was, you know, sold out, you know, and and I kind of felt like that was the beauty of the support tour and it still is. And I love being a support artist on tour, Mm -hmm. especially when you're going out with, you know, bands like The Regrets and Hippocampus because they've got already these amazing fan bases who are already down the front. So all you have to really do is go out there and try and win some of them over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can kind of just go out and have fun. And, and I think, yeah, like you said, it's easier to play to loads of people who are already up for having a good time. Yeah. You know, they're already excited about what's coming next. So they're going to, you know, greet you and, you know, warmly. 
But I think, yeah, I've done a couple of like festivals and things like earlier on where you've walked out and there's been 10 people there and, you know, yeah. there's a couple of dogs running around and you think, <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is going to be a tough one to get through. <laughs> it's important though as well, isn't it, to have those shows as an artist, I think. Oh, so then when yeah. you, you know, you climb onto those, on the rung of the ladder, onto those bigger venues, you, you really, Definitely. really appreciate it. And I think that never stops either. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, when you're huge, like when you're Ed Sheeran, I'm sure he never plays for no one. But, you know, <laughs> we've come off the Hippocampus tour and then straight to a festival and we've played to 10 mm-hmm. people and you've been like, oh, that's weird. You know, like that's... It's an, and that's just how it is, I think. And like yeah. we've played really cool festivals, but at the same time as, you know, David Attenborough's talking down the road. So you're like, well, <laughs> I'm never going to win. You know, I'd yeah. rather go and listen to David Attenborough talk than <laughs> listen to my half an hour set. So I think it's just, yeah, you have to really appreciate those moments like the Hippo Tour and, and then, you know, and remember those moments when you're also playing to 10 people at a festival because it all, you need them both, I think. But even huge artists, like I was reading about like Harry Styles and Adele recently, they've both admitted that they sometimes like vomit just because they're so stressed before they play a yeah. big show. Have you ever had that, the kind of physical sickness? Yeah, I think I was quite sick on the regrets tour, but I, I think what happened is we, I was so tired and I was so tired that I'd stressed myself out to the point where I was like, can I play? Because we'd driven from Liverpool to Paris overnight. Oh, wow. So we We'd played Liverpool and then driven to Paris overnight, and then we had to play Paris that night. Quite, and I remember being like, I'm, I'm, I remember being like, I'm so tired. I've never been this tired. Oh. And I was like, we were all like kind of struggling to function. And I remember just being sick, just literally like ten seconds before we went on, oh, like no. literally wiping my mouth and running out. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> but it was like one of the best shows I've ever played because I wasn't nervous about performing. Mm-hmm. I was just trying not to be sick the whole time, so I was just not even thinking about what I was singing and playing like. So I was quite relaxed. Mm-hmm. I was just trying not to puke. So. That's a memorable one for me. <laughs> yeah, I suppose sometimes when you're feeling really tired or you are a little mm. bit nervous, it's amazing what adrenaline does, isn't it? It just like gets oh you God. through this whole performance. Yeah, you can feel like, you know, a total bag of rubbish and then one half an hour set would sort you out and then you're buzzing for the rest of the night. Yeah. And, it's so, and I just wish you could like can that feeling because it's oh, mate, so I good. Know. Yeah, it's And the I best. think like as soon as you come back off tour or whatever, it's just, so depressing because you get used to that getting that feeling every night and yeah going to a different place every day and then you come back and you just you're back in your bedroom and you're like oh right I'm still myself <laughs> I'm not a rock star that tours I'm the world all the not, time I'm actually not a superstar how weird is that <laughs> so what is your routine then before you go on stage so you're backstage with your bandmates yeah. what yeah. what do you all do to like fully get in the zone so and this is the annoying bit, is my band members don't get nervous at all. Really? Like, literally don't even, yeah, not even remotely nervous. Okay. So I'm the only one, which sometimes oh. makes it worse, sometimes <laughs> makes it better. Because sometimes I'm reassured by their, like, laid-back nature. I'm like, oh, they don't mind. You know, I shouldn't mind. Yeah. But um, I get I get stressed for all four of us. So I would, um, <laughs> so normally, like, an hour before, I'll get ready, so get my gig outfit on and all that kind of stuff. And then I'll do like a 20-minute vocal warm-up normally. And then I'll pace around a lot. And then I'll like sing the set in my head just so I know exactly what I'm doing from start to finish. Mm-hmm. 
and then I'll do sort of like last minute checks on like guitars and pedals and things like that and get my in-ear monitors in and then five minutes before I go on I have to go to the toilet and do my thing <laughs> <laughs> literally I I this is not a joke I did a tweet once and it was like I've pooped at every venue I've ever played at brilliant and a little nervous a one <laughs> because I can't I can't go on stage without one <laughs> It's terrible, but also good for the the weight loss when you're on tour. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Later on, we'll have more from Lauren, including some live music. Now, though, let's chat to John Bassett, a therapist and artist coach. Hey, John, it is a pleasure to have you on this episode of Firestones Driven by Music podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Abby. It's nice to be here. So what's your connection then to the music industry? Like, do you play music yourself? How did you begin kind of helping musicians as well? Um, I mean, I'm an absolute hopeless. I can't play a note, can't sing a note. Um, <laughs> I've never been able to. No, never been able to do it, but always really loved music. And um, I got into the music industry sort of early 90s um, through the usual route of retail Um and then on into um, licensing and um, various other areas like that for the best part of about sort of 20 years in the end until I decided to take a bit of a change. Mm. When I got into um, my training and was coming to the end of my qualification to be a therapist, I sort of thought about the music industry being somewhere that kind of needed uh, uh, the, the sort of interve- not intervention of, uh, of psychotherapy, but I think it was it was something that wasn't there when I was was in it, and you know there were yeah. times of need. It wasn't something that was kind of uh, readily available, if you like. Yeah, of course. Now, John, I'd like to talk to you about stage fright. I just really want to, you know, understand mm-hmm. it better and and find out how to overcome it and and deal with it. So, what are the kind of pieces of advice that you give out for people to tackle it? Well, I think it's kind of, um, I think it's a very individual thing, really. Um, there's no real kind of one-size-fits-all solution to it. Okay. Um, I think that you've got kind of, there's very different kinds of um, music performance anxiety, if you want to call it that. Um, and I see it rather than as something to solve. It feels like it's something that we kind of adapt to because it's quite a natural thing. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a normal thing to experience. It's kind of, um, uh, I think it'd be unusual if people didn't experience a kind of an anticipation of, uh, you know, of it's a kind of a mixture of ex- exhilaration and dread, really, yeah. about when you're before that. I think once you kind of get into the um, the, the whole process of performing, um, and I say this very much from a sort of a, a caveat of being an outsider, that, that 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 can be you know you're you're into your kind of optimal position there. You're performing. You're doing what you you know you've done almost like a muscle memory really, and you're able to kind of just work better. It's more in the anticipation stage of it that it's uh, that's difficult. But in terms of solution, I think it it really kind of depends. I think if there is a kind of what's called focal um, music performance anxiety then, you know, there'll be no anxiety kind of elsewhere in life. Um, it's just confined to music performance. Okay. Then, there are a lot of things, then there are a lot of things you can kind of do with yourself, really, rather like relaxation, breathing techniques, a bit more sort of cognitive things. Um, but you can have it, if, if you then have it as part of more of a general uh, social anxiety, um, so, you know, you may have it, 
if you are kind of um, in social situations, in groups, um, in large crowds yourself, then there are things like sort of um, CBT can work as well, as mm-hmm. well as the, the, the sort of um, relaxation and breathing techniques. But I think where where sort of psychotherapy comes in, where I would kind of um, be more involved is if there is some kind of uh, vulnerability within the personality of the person as well, if there's some underlying issues, if there is a, a sort of a bigger clinical landscape to look at, mm. there's, much more, there's much more going on, that something could be then made manifest in the performance situation. You know, they could be bringing a lot on tour, if you like. Yeah. Um, so that could then require some more intensive psychotherapy work alongside some of the more cognitive-based therapies to deal with the actual kind of physicality of it as well. But you're kind of coming at it from two ways. So there's, there's ways in which you can do it. But again, it's, it's all with the kind of the individual. Um, and it's, it doesn't really, you know, there's no one it doesn't affect really, I think. You know, some, yeah. people are just very, some people are just very good at it. I mean, I was reading that you know, John Lennon was sick every time he went on. Yeah. And, you know, I've, some, I've, I've been told of huge performers who just you know were absolutely racked with um anxiety and you'd never believe it when you when you've seen them on stage you think no way but you know then no one's kind of immune from the from the possibility of it yeah absolutely it's almost like you know even if you're a huge star you still put pressure on yourself to give you know the best performance possible don't you so yes, absolutely for for artists listening to this podcast, what should they like absolutely not do before going on stage? I know you know people are saying they should have a couple of beers to ease the mm. nerves. Is that a good or a bad idea? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm no kind of uh, finger wagging nanny, but no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think it's helpful. Um, yeah, I think when you're in that kind of anticipatory state before that, psychologically, you've got enough. Uh, stress is going on. You've got a lot of cortisol. You've got a lot of adrenaline. All these hormones kind of racing around your body. These are all stimulants. So I think in order to kind of throw another couple in the mix, I don't think is is, is really kind of very helpful. Um, uh, reducing the triggers really that are going to kind of set off what you know to be uh, the kind of the anxiety inducing thing. If you uh, set some good boundaries for yourself. If you if you need quiet before a performance, then you know have like a. So anything you'd like to add for people that are listening, and they maybe recognise some of the issues and some of the things that you've spoken about in this podcast, but they haven't yet, you know, reached out for help. They're kind of considering it. What would what would you say to them? I think on a personal level, I think there's a lot of um, perfectionism that goes on in uh, in. in there's been a lot of correlation. There's been some really good research done by a guy called Thomas Curran, and um, he does a very good TED talk on it on perfectionism in the modern era. Um, and it's something I think that is uh, very kind of um, prevalent in musicians. I think it's prevalent generally in um, young people born sort of from the late eighties onwards, mm-hmm. um, and it's increasing as well. I think there is this um, perf- perfectible lifestyle idea going on. Um, so I think one of the antidotes to that, if people are kind of, sort of suffering from that, is a bit of kind of self-compassion, that things won't be perfect. Every gig won't be uh, an absolute, you know, won't bring the house down every single time. Yeah. The, the more you do, if you have an amazing gig, then the, then the pressure's on the, the next day. You're going to have to do it all over again on the next date of the tour. You know, the more you're expected to do better. 
but there are some great resources out there. Um, I'm part of a, a really good collective called the Music Industry Therapists Collective. Okay. Um, and um, my um, friend and colleague, Tamsin Embleton, has uh, spearheaded um, that. And she's put together a fantastic sort of handbook or a guide. Um, she's updated it, in fact, for anxiety and self-isolation as well, because obviously with the live world of music being kind of completely on lockdown now, yep. that, that brings some other kinds of uh, anxieties, of course. Yeah, definitely. But there's, some, there's some fantastic resources on there as well, um, both for just um, external um, agencies and tips for um, just that you can just use yourself um, on a, sort of a day-to-day basis, really. John, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to chat to you today. Abby, you're very, very welcome, and I hope you uh, stay well and um, wish you the best of luck. So what would you recommend then to any performers or new bands listening to this podcast? Like, How do you overcome stage fright? What's your like top tips? I think it's important to keep a little bit of... A little bit of stage fright, um, a little bit of nerves, I think, is sometimes good and can spur you on. But I think for me, what's helped me is settling into a bit of a routine. So I know that every night before I go out on stage, I'm going to, for an hour before, I'm going to get changed. And then 20 minutes after that, I'm going to do a 20 minute vocal warm up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to check all of my pedals. And I think it's like a mental checklist. You're like, right, I'm warmed up vocally, I'm dressed and I'm ready to go everything's where it should be on stage and then it's sort of like the three boxes tick so you're like everything is as ready as it can be for me to walk out and then perform yeah um so i think for me getting into a routine of those three things in in that order as well as sort of running the set in my head calms me down and it makes the time pass as well i think that hour before you go on is the most nerve-wracking so Mm. i think filling that up with a bit of like a schedule if you like kind of makes that hour go faster because as soon as you're out there well, I can't talk for everyone but sort of after 10 minutes I've I've relaxed so I yeah. think it's just the quicker I can get out there the better so I fill my time so it goes faster do you find then that that first song is the one that's that kind of cements for you whether it's a good gig or not like if you go out and you you nail the yeah. first song and you <laughs> feel relaxed you're like yeah bring it on I can do the rest of the show yeah, definitely. I think after, I, I know after the first 30 seconds if I'm going to have a good gig or not, I'd say. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't um, it? Which is really weird, yeah. And sometimes it's all in your head because sometimes I'll think I've had a really good gig and then you'll come off stage and your bass player will be like, oh, that wasn't a good one for me. And you think, like, we were on the same stage. Yeah. We were in the same room, yet you didn't have a good one and I did. And sometimes it works in reverse. And it's really weird that I, how different people perceive you know a gig and it's halfly you know it's a little bit based on what the audience are giving you and then it's a little bit based on how you feel like you personally performed Mm -hmm. um and there's a real nice moment when both of those things come off um and you can sort of like celebrate with that but yeah it's pretty much 30 seconds in i can tell whether i'm gonna like relax enough to have a really good show and people are enjoying it and yeah that's sort of when i know so what would you say throws you the most? Would it be like something technically going wrong? Would it be like maybe the, the audience haven't received something the way you thought? Or like what's, mm. what would you say is like a trigger for a bit of stage fright? I think my triggers come with, because I do a lot of chat on stage, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a bit of a, I do a little comedy set you as do. well. You get, you get two and for the I, price of one. You do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, tickets are still the same low price, but... Um, <laughs> 
But I um I think normally because I chat a little bit at the start and after the first song, I think normally if my chat is just falling on dead ears, that's when I get a little bit disheartened because I'm like, yeah. oh, maybe this isn't my audience because my audience would really laugh at that. Yeah, because I've spoken to bands before who've kind of toured around the globe and they'll go to somewhere that's, you know, so far away from where they are originally and the crowd reacts so differently. You know, they're super quiet. But th- yeah. in their culture, that means that they're really respectful and they really enjoy the music so sometimes it's just like you can't read too much into the crowd can you otherwise overthinking is yeah is not the one I imagine no definitely not when you're on stage and you've already got a million things to think about (laughs) yeah the last thing you want to be thinking about is like oh what if they don't like me because then all of a sudden you've forgotten the second verse is coming up and you're singing something totally different so you have to sort of keep you know one foot down um but it is easy to like have your mind run away with you oh I Um, bet but I think after after a little while, you sort of just, I guess you develop like a bit of a weird skin on stage and you're like, you it just gets easier to bat things off and think, no, I know what I'm doing. I deserve to be here. I'm going to play like I want to play. So, And yeah. I think if you can still get the energy from your band members, if you, if you can not, you know, if you can not let that let up. Lauren, this has been a very insightful chat. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Thank you so much for having me chat about my stage fright and nervous poos. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. I think it's time to listen to something live. So for this episode, Lauren Hibbard is performing a very special acoustic version of her new single, Old Nudes. Take it away when you're ready, Lauren. Wicked, thanks so much. I wonder what he's doing now I bet he's kicked back in a sea view house with my money I wonder what he's thinking about I bet he's running out of ways to tell everybody that he has a dirty photo of me And he stored it on his iPhone 3 You can see it by the look in my thighs Want you to send it to some bigger guys Ah, ah, did you have to come around again? Ooh, ooh, missed you like my last payment of rent Why, ah, did I have to try and comprehend All the money that I spent Making nothing but my bed You got it figured out I've seen you skating into town With your mother I started rolling windows down I was gonna shout out something about Fucking others But he has a dirty photo of me And he stored it on his iPhone 3 You can see it by the look in my thighs Want you to send it to some bigger guys Ah, ah, did you have to come around again? Ooh, ooh, missed you like my last payment of rent Why, ah, did I have to try and comprehend All the money that I spent Making nothing but my bed Said you wanted me to be honest So I told you that I hated your face 
you were letting down the human race. I don't wanna be like you, stuck in your old photo booth. Yeah, I don't wanna see it too. You're looking at me like I'm nude. I, I, did you have to come around again? Ooh, ooh, missed you like my last payment of rent. Why, I, did I have to try and comprehend all the money that I spent making nothing but my bed? Amazing live music from the one and only Lauren Hibbard. We've come to the end of this episode of Driven by Music, a podcast fueled by Firestone. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast and I'd like to thank our awesome guests. Next episode, I will talk about musicians' working hours. A musician's working day is not finished at five o'clock. Working late is often a huge part of the package deal. I'm going to talk to one of my favourite bands, sports team, about their experience so far. I'll speak to you soon.